Welcome back to the Weekly Driver Podcast. My name is James Rea. I'm an automotive writer for Bay Area News Group. I edit and publish the website, theweeklydriver.com. My co-host is Bruce Aldrich, and today we have on a repeat guest, Joe Weisenfelder. He's the executive editor of cars.com. And Joe, welcome to our podcast uh, for the second time. We appreciate you taking the time. Thank you. Thank you. Well, uh, the world of electric vehicles is changing uh, by the minute, or so it seems. Uh, and Joe, you have an, a big event coming up in a couple of days. Could you introduce that uh, to us and why that's important at this time? Well, we are putting on a guide for the EV curious, which is another way of saying it's, it's kind of a beginner's guide uh, for consumers who are considering uh, electric cars for the first time. And uh, it's understandable that it would happen now or that we would do it now because there's more interest than ever. I mean, we've seen searches, you know, for EVs and EV information double uh, because there are more EV models than there have ever been. It's, it's largely because of the number of new models. It, you know, for the longest time, it was Tesla and maybe one here and one there. But now everyone either has an EV or has an EV on the way. Definitely, I think they're uh, gaining traction, that's for sure. I mean, people know other people that have an EV now, and, you know, four years ago, not so much. That's part of it. Yeah, that's definitely part of it. But what's interesting is that some of the same concerns that were around 10 years ago still exist, and we don't necessarily think consumers are focusing on the right thing. And it's understandable. We bought, at Cars.com, we bought our first plug-ins 10 years ago. We bought a Nissan Leaf and a Chevy Volt. I have had home charging since 10 years ago. I, I just, there are certain things you learn, you understand when you own an electric car that are just hard to grasp when you don't. So you can see the conundrum there. Yes. Uh, and we're trying to share that with people because it's just too easy for consumers to fixate on range and things like public infrastructure, which is important, but it's not, it's really not the thing that, that should determine whether you're, let's say, a candidate for an electric car or not. I agree. Those are two important parts, negatives, I guess, like you say, range anxiety and infrastructure. The problem is there's a lot of people that don't have their own home or their own garage to have their own mm -hmm. charging. So yeah, that's, that's it. And, yeah. and that's really the only the only comfortable, like satisfying way to own an EV. And and uh, we understand the, the fixation on, on public infrastructure and we need those chargers, uh, especially for the future. But what people don't recognize, I hear a lot that people say, oh, uh, uh, the public charging infrastructure isn't ready for today's EVs. The reality is that today's EVs aren't ready for the infrastructure because it's the cars, today's cars and their batteries, that don't charge fast enough. It is not about the chargers. Um, it's the nature of the battery chemistry and the way they're built that even these DC fast chargers that you can find in public uh, that, that can add, you know, what, what EV fans consider fast <laughs> range is still measured arguably in an hour if you're talking about totally empty to totally full for most vehicles, I, I mean, to people that are not, uh, you know, versed in EVs, that's, that's not fast 
fast as you put a nozzle on your tank and three minutes later you have 400 miles of range, right? That's, that's the standard. Absolutely. So, and I, so one of the things that we're trying to convince people, not convince people, but, you know, uh, inform people of is, is uh, don't buy an EV, one of today's EVs, which is the way I probably should put it, and expect uh, some new charger to show up in your neighborhood a year from now and change your experience. That's not really the issue. It's the cars that need to change, the battery technology that needs to change, and that is several years out. So the charges that we're building now, the infrastructure is necessary. We need it. It makes people more comfortable with the idea of buying an EV. But once you buy one, you charge it home. And you may never use the public chargers unless you find yourself you know, running out of uh, range. Joe, uh, you raised a couple of points, and I think I, I get a little confused. The per, the We were just talking um, off air about the Prius came out 21, 22 years ago now in the United States, a few years prior to that in Japan. But it's taken that long for, what, 3.5% of the cars in the United States are, are alternative vehicle cars. How is a person going to listen to what you guys are going to inform them with and say, you've won me over. I'm, I'm doing this tomorrow. I think it's the great. How are you going to win people over who just are for lack of a better word, stubborn people, we all have our habits and things that we like to do, and I'm not going to change. That's not me. I'm saying that in general terms. How are you going to win people over? I'm not sure. Uh, I'm not sure we are. And mm. to be frank, our role, we believe, is always uh, to be advocates for the consumer. Yes. We're not zealots for electric vehicles. We like them a lot, and we believe in them, and we yes. think they're necessary. But we also... Uh, think they are not for everybody. Uh, and so we're more interested in making sure the right people uh, get EVs. We're more likely to, uh, you know, do a reality check. And that's actually one of the sections of, of, of the event we're doing is a big reality check for people who are a little too gung-ho. Just make sure this is something that's right for you. Because there's a fair amount, even if you do have the ability to charge at home, there's a fair amount of, of setup involved. It can be complex. It can be costly. Uh, in general, EVs cost more upfront, both the vehicle, uh, the charging, and even if you take advantage of the federal tax credit, uh, it's a credit. It's not a rebate. It's not a point of sale, like subtraction of the cost of the vehicle. You buy the car, unless you lease it, that's a little different, but if you buy the car, uh, you're eligible for up to $7,500 uh, in that tax credit if you're buying from a brand other than Tesla and GM because theirs have been exhausted. Um, and you may not see that. You don't see that until uh, um, uh, your tax returns, which could be, what, months from now. It could be a year plus from now, uh, depending on when you buy it. So it's all about upfront costs. But you can get a lot of that back in the operation of the vehicle because, uh, you know, cost per mile can be considerably lower depending on what you buy and where you live because, you know, gas prices vary by region and electricity prices vary by region. It's all very variable. How come I never see a comparison between gas and electric cars on the cost per mile, like you just said? They never seem um, to compare you, one another. You can actually find them. There's a, there's a site, and I, I'm going to have to... Th- think if I can uh, if I can drum it up or find it 
that does allow you to do that comparison. Um, it's, uh, uh, I think, an, uh, a government, one of the energy you know, concerns, energy sites that lets you do that. And, and it's for exactly that reason. But the problem, the only problem with it is it does it based on the average EV. It doesn't let you uh, input a particular model versus another particular model. And that's really what's important. People need to compare the EV they would buy to the conventional vehicle they I would agree. buy that they already own. Absolutely. Because too often, like, like you'll see, you'll see uh, with electric, one of the one of the things to bear in mind is for a long time, most electrics, because we consider Tesla a luxury brand, most electrics were luxury. Uh, and when you're comparing a luxury vehicle to another luxury vehicle, ninety some percent of those luxury vehicles run on premium gas. So it's very easy to get, you know, lower cost per mile uh, when you're running on electric. But if you're comparing uh, an electric vehicle to uh, a more modest gas-powered vehicle from a, a non-luxury brand that runs on, you know, regular gas, then it could be closer. And now as we're getting into uh, SUVs, larger electric vehicles, yes, they're still electric, but that doesn't mean that, you know, they're not less efficient than small electric vehicles. I mean, the rules of physics still apply. So that means they use more electricity, they take longer to charge, and they need bigger batteries to have, you know, comparable range. So uh, there's there's probably a lot of thinking out there, oh, if I, as long as I can plug it in and drive electric, then, you know, case closed. Well, yeah, but you should still compare the efficiency of one versus another, which you can do on the same site that gives you um, gas mileage. It's fueleconomy.gov, um, and you get what's called miles per gallon equivalent, MPGE, and Comparing one electric vehicle to another is actually a real eye-opener because some of them uh, are small, and you'd think, well, there's a nice well, – that, that's probably pretty efficient. And you look at it, and you go, wow, that's not efficient at all. And then it's reflected in, in its range and how long it takes to charge. I went to this uh, crazy site called cars.com, <laughs> and I, I did that comparison between a, I don't recall, it was a Model 3, and I forget what the other electric was that I compared. And one was like, you know, 111 MPGE, and the other one was 118 MPG. But, mm-hmm. you know, in miles per gallon, I know exactly what that means. In the MPGE, uh, not so much. Is, is a few points a big deal? Or would you talk well, thinking percentages difference or something? I think, well, one thing that I, I'm not a big fan of with MPGE is I don't think it's great for comparing electrics to gas. The mass, the miles per gallon equivalent, it, it just, because it's based on energy. It's really not based on cost. And you guys have been doing this long enough to know that gas-powered and diesel-powered engines are terribly inefficient they're like 20 percent or 30 percent efficient yep whereas electric motors are 90 plus percent efficient so it's apples and oranges but you can compare electrics to electrics to me it's more an issue of i'll look at that mpge and if i see a big disparity then it makes me think all right hold on a second there's more i need to look at here and when i look sure enough i'll see a little vehicle with uh shorter range than you might expect but the charging time is just as long as everything else or longer. 
I mean, it's it's a little hard for people to to grasp the charging time thing, but if you think about it, in inefficiency means the same amount of time charging will translate to less uh, less range. Uh, and the same would be true with, with pumping gas, but you pump so much gas so quickly, no one even thinks about it. Sure. What, what would you think the most efficient cars are out on the market right now, electric? Do you know? Um, by and large, um, Tesla has an advantage, uh, I think, as a brand. They manage to be extremely efficient not all versions, but if you look at the most efficient version of the Model 3 uh, and the Model Y, and et cetera, they, they usually have a very highly rated one. The new Lucid Air is pretty highly rated, which is one of the reasons it now has an EPA-rated range of over 500 miles, which is a new record. Um, I think Hyundai has a pretty good record, too, with the Ionic line of electrics, and they yes. have a new one called the Ionic five that is coming i'm not sure if that has been rated for efficiency yet but i know that the the uh, plug-in hybrid and the electric that they sold mainly in the zero emissions vehicle states um unfortunately we didn't have it in illinois though i did drive it uh was was pretty highly rated and you know it's it's something you want to see i know what the bad ones were i know the jaguar i-pace was terribly inefficient uh and it charged very slowly. Uh, they made a change after a year or two to the onboard charging module, which is one of the potential bottlenecks for charging speed uh, at home, and they goosed it. Uh, so if you were capable of giving it more juice at home, at least it would cut that time down, but it didn't address the core problem, which was inefficiency. I see. What's the F? Uh, the Ford F-150? How is it setting? Is it working? Are people buying that car? Do you know anything about it? The truck, I should say. Um, you're talking about the electric, the Lightning? Yes. Uh, well, that was made available for um, order, and I believe they have more than 100,000 orders. Oh, it's still not uh, delivered yet. Okay. Oh, no, no, that's That's a year out easily. Okay. Um, I think they were being very uh, aggressive with it, and the pricing talk about aggressive the pricing is amazing i think they're talking about starting just over forty thousand dollars for that thing so it's amazing and they have big plans to uh make it uh, uh kind of serve as a backup for your home for, for i've, home I've power seen that in case of a blackout yeah yeah it's 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 pretty aggressive stuff but um it's going to be wow right now the first uh electric pickup uh on the market is the Rivian, um, uh, I think it's called the R1T, which I uh, drove very briefly myself. I was just going to ask looking. about that. I like the looks um, of those. Bruce and I had, had the, well, we're looking forward to this year. If it, if it comes off as the LA Auto Show, and we saw the, the Rivian and the Byton, which I think might have gone by the wayside already. I'm not quite sure, but I was very enamored with the Rivian like everybody else was. And um, is that a is that a game changer? Do you think um, from what you've you said you drove it briefly? It just seems um, like the real deal is part A of my question, and part B of my question is: Is it fair to assume that people are going to the EV world based on economics, or are they going to the EV world based on their environmental beliefs? 
Um, I think it's a combination of both. Yes. I think there's something very uh, compelling about the technology and the quietness and the quickness. Uh, I mean, these things accelerate astonishingly fast. Yes. The Rivian truck was one of them. Zero to 60 is about three seconds. Yes. And it does so quietly. And I, I've shared this a few times. I have a, a buddy who I grew up with who is uh, 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 now a doctor, and he has owned a few sports sedans like a uh, an Audi and uh, like an S, you know, version of an Audi S4, I believe, uh, BMW, Mercedes, all the, you know, more powerful sports sedans. Sure. And he ended up with a Model 3 performance version, and he said he'll never go back because he can zip around <laughs> and drive like a menace quietly. Yeah. <laughs> so yes. so it, you get the, the acceleration without the noise and being conspicuous. And there are different things you don't even realize until you start experiencing electric cars that you really like. And off-roading is another, like, surprise uh, um, activity. You might not recognize the advantage. Uh, but the I didn't drive the Rivian truck off-road, but uh, it's designed for it. Uh, you look at the uh, Hummer EV, GMC Hummer EV, uh, it is an off-road vehicle that is electric. There's certain advantages to all that torque and being able to creep around quietly in nature. It's a very different experience uh, that uh, it, the advantages are far beyond just uh, the environmental ones. Yes, um, I that, agree. That most people are aware of. The, yes. the electric silence like in a tesla it's it's amazing the speed and no drama you're just going it's you know the hand of who knows what at your back shoving you down into the seat it's it's pretty cool taking this in, and you know and, and go ahead John. Yeah, and i'm sorry. I was gonna say one of the one of the things that i appreciate about it now is that it seems at the same time that a lot of the conventional vehicles are getting a little bit worse in that regard when it comes to accelerator response I mean, there are so there's so much technology now. There there's electronic throttle control. There are turbochargers. The the the, the transmissions have, you know, ten gears now, and they do a, some of them do a lot of hunting. And there's a lot of continuously variable transmissions that are not very responsive. And hybrids aren't especially known for being responsive. So right when when electrics are coming along and giving you this consistent quick responsiveness at any speed from from uh, zero on up and and a lot of them maintain it up to highway speed you've got the conventional vehicles starting to kind of drop the ball in a sense yes yes joe uh i don't know where we are if you could uh, fill at least maybe bruce does but i don't know where we are depending upon administrations um in our in our country where are we in terms of minimal gas mileages uh, requirements. Is it going to be 35 soon? Is it changed? Where are we where the standard uh, gas car has to be a year from now or five years from now? I've kind of lost track of that. Do you know the update? Where are we? I don't don't know the update either, and it's partly because it seems like there's a, a, a battle going on right now over that and uh, potentially uh, additional um, uh, consumer incentives for electrics yes. that would 
restore the, the incentives for uh, General Motors and Tesla, possibly increase them. It's hanging up partly because uh, the Biden administration wants them to be higher for union-built vehicles or U.S.-built uh, vehicles than, you know, even Canadian-built ones, et cetera. And, and, and it's just so as a result, we're not seeing any, uh, um, any, any movement. Uh, so I, I, I'm not even sure where we're at with, uh, with MPG or, or any of that. It just keeps every time uh, it seems like something's going to happen, then nothing, uh, nothing moves forward. I can tell you in California, they've uh, set a goal where they're not going to sell uh, fossil fuel vehicles. 2030? 2035, is it? 20, 20, yeah. Something like that, where they're going to supposedly not sell any more gas-powered cars. That's going to push the EV envelope a little bit. You know, bold plans like that, I think, are are are, are worth having. I mean, and they're not binding, which I think is, is good. And, and I say the same for all the automakers that say they, they're going to go all electric by some year, and, and, and it really varies. And, and it's being driven, frankly, by mostly by other countries, uh, certainly more than the U.S. It's being taken more seriously overseas, and that's partly why we're seeing so many models available to us here. Um, but, I mean, there are still limitations, and that is one of the things that, we've, that we're addressing and why we're bringing it up to consumers, because it's being discussed as if it's an inevitability but meanwhile, if you live in an apartment or someplace else where you can't charge at home, you're really not eligible for an EV. And it's hard to imagine that you will be for many years to come, knowing what we know about the technology and that the limitation is not the number of public charging stations, it's the vehicles themselves. And there's some inroads now. I mean, they're, they're switching from 400 volt systems to 800 because they can charge faster in public uh, at DC charging uh, stations. But bear in mind that public charging, except for the cases where it's included free with purchase, uh, always costs more than charging at home, sometimes more than enough to erase the advantage, the cost advantage of driving electric. So it's just, there are, there are too many of these, these, um, uh, variables and too many downsides for it to be. Um, I just, I think it's too soon to talk about it as an inevitability in the United States, at least, without lower-priced vehicles, better technology, and or more support. And as we just discussed, it seems like the the support is is hanging up a bit. We, I um, I check the uh, EVs every once in a while, the charging stations for the price when I get around them. And I know at home where I live here in Sacramento, it's like 12 cents a kilowatt hour. And the EV charging mm-hmm. stations are often 31 and 36 cents a kilowatt hour that they're charging the customer. So for me, you know, yeah, it's yeah. Th- three times as much out on the road than when I'm at home. Yeah, and that's DC fast charging. And and unfortunately, I, I, there are a few models. I think Volkswagen ID4 is one of them. Lucid is, is going to offer... Uh, Hyundai is going to offer some free DC fast charging for a few years with the purchase. Um, one of the other less reported facts is that frequent DC fast charging can compromise the long-term 
capacity of the battery. And the automakers acknowledge this. They, they often put it in their uh, owner's manuals and, 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 and such. So it's, you know, it's a, it's a double-edged sword. You're giving this for free, so okay, that's good, but you still don't want to overdo it or you're just going to end up with less range at the end of, you know, uh, the life of the vehicle. So, uh, as I said, that's one of the big things that we're, we're trying to educate people on is don't put all of your, your eggs in, in the public charging basket. This is still very much, uh, a, a, a great product and, and off it can be a very satisfying product for someone who can charge at home and who has a second car that's a conventional car. That's, that's one of the things yeah, that we keep that's key. pointing out to people. Yeah, because why, why buy a car that you can charge every night and get one that has 300 miles of range? You're not driving 300 miles a day. You don't even need that much range. Uh, and if you want to go on a road trip, take the conventional car. The average household in the U.S. has two cars. This, this brings to mind, Joe, if I could uh, interject one thing. It's a little bit of a tangent, but I think it ties in. I, I was uh, visiting in Colorado a few weeks ago at a, at a writer's conference and, and you know, working with what I call the liaison companies. Um, I asked if a car was available. I didn't really mind what, what they had to offer. And so what was offered was a, a 2022 uh, Toyota Corolla Hybrid. Now, Mm-hmm. We're not talking about performance, lucid performance, or or, or uh, the Rivian performance or Tesla performance. We're talking about a car that's the biggest selling car in history, and it struggled up and down in the Rocky Mountains, so to speak. But I was traveling by myself. My suitcase could fit in the, back, in the trunk just fine, and it got 53 miles to the gallon uh, as advertised. And that would be for the person who's still thinking about this. I think I'm going to be a little bit of a playing devil's advocate. You can buy a Toyota Corolla for $25,000 that you're very rarely going to put gas in the tank. So there are those cars out there, I think maybe a dozen or maybe 15, probably you know better than I do, that are 40 miles per gallon or more in their regular gasoline cars. So comment on that if you if you would. That is exactly why the uh, uh, penetration of hybrids has been greater than electric vehicles and probably will continue to be because there is no change whatsoever in the way you own them. Uh, you park them wherever you want. You fill them at the same filling station. They drive a little different, but most people don't seem to mind. And the mileage just keeps getting better. And there are more than ever. I mean, Hyundai's getting uh, into the, the game with many different uh, uh, sizes and, and vehicle types, both cars and SUVs. So you're absolutely correct. And that is why, and we need all of them. I mean, it's like, the funny thing is, even if electric plug-in battery electric vehicles were super compelling and everyone wanted one immediately, they couldn't make enough of them. And we wouldn't have the infrastructure for them. This is going to take a while. Uh, And then there's the fact that cars that were built and are on the road are going to be on the road you know, an average of what, 11, 12 years. That's, it just keeps getting longer because they're so good now. I mean, disposing of cars that are still good and usable is not really environmentally uh, 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 responsible either. So this is a process. Um, 
what we're reacting to now is the greater availability of more models, more battery electric models, the obvious results of climate change, which more people seem to be acknowledging, especially in areas where it's affecting uh, not just climate, but, you know, weather. Uh, and uh, it's, it's, it's still going to take time. I, I think one of the things that we're going to see is the numbers are going to go up. And you hear this from people that say electric cars don't need to be incentivized. Uh, tax dollars don't need to be spent because look at the sales go up. Well, the sales are going up because new models are being introduced. That's always going to happen. And there's always going to be interest initially. There are going to be spikes when the first ever nationally sold electric SUVs hit the market, which is, you're looking at it, the Ford Mustang Mach-E, the Volkswagen um, uh, ID4. Uh, those are sold in all 50 states, and Teslas aren't. Uh, so, yeah, you're going to see a lot of those sold. Likewise, pickup trucks. Haven't been any electric pickup trucks. Do, are electric pickup trucks a good idea? You know, we'll see. For contractors, I don't know. For casual use, maybe. Uh, but you can bet one thing. When they're new and they've never existed before, they're going to sell. So we're going to see a lot of price spikes when these things come out and they're new models from new manufacturers. Uh, but that doesn't mean that all of a sudden it's, it's a, a runaway train and uh, that it'll never moderate. I saw the other day, and I'm sure you know this as well, Joe, that uh, Hertz uh, put an order in for 100,000 Teslas. Uh, that seems to be yeah. a remarkable amount of Teslas, and I'm sure Mr. Musk is very happy. Um, does, did that surprise you, number one? And um, does it mean something um, away from rental car fleets? Is the, the people say, do you think people will say, boy, I can rent a Tesla, maybe I'll go rent one uh, on a vacation and try it out, and that'll lead them to either love it or not love it. And um, to me, it was, mm -hmm. it was surprising and, and a really good thing, um, whether it's Tesla or some other EV, it just seems like that was a quantum leap on maybe a few different levels. Your thoughts on that? I thought it was remarkable, and I didn't fully get it until I saw someone else make the point, and I wish I had thought of it myself, that that was about the very robust Tesla supercharger network, uh, which is, and superchargers are DC fast chargers, and that is how you can take a, uh, a Tesla on a long trip, or any EV on a, on, a, on a long trip, because again, even though fast charging isn't that fast when you compare it with sticking a, a, a nozzle in a gas tank, it's still faster than, you know, overnight charging at home. So it's remarkable. I think it will pay off for Tesla. Tesla tends not to make a lot of uh, big mistakes. I think people will experience the cars and find that they like them uh, or that it, they at least, uh, you know, locally, that they appreciate them. It's one thing about Tesla that seems to be true is that they do have a mission and they do want electrics to uh, uh, proliferate. And whenever, you, whenever they ask Musk, oh, well, you've got a lot of competitors now. He always says, the more the merrier. We want electric vehicles. We're fighting climate change, etc." And if, if this is a way for him to, you know, get the word out about Tesla and get more electric cars out there, 
his his message in that regard has been very consistent, and um, it, it seems like this is just part of that uh, that that same mission, which is get electrics and especially Tesla electrics in the hands of as many people as possible, and uh, it's uh, it's it's fascinating. It is, Joe. I wonder if you could speak about. Uh insuring electric cars as i understand it some of the most expensive cars to insure are electrics um the reason is the horsepower i don't have a lot of, i don't have a lot of background in it i it's possible that it's skewed a little bit by the fact that most electrics as i mentioned before have been luxury vehicles so that's that's automatically going to skew it a little bit high. I sure. mean, in the early days, there was the Nissan Leaf and the Chevy Volt, and then Tesla. And make no mistake, Tesla was well over half of all electric vehicles sold in in the country. Um, and then competitors that started to show up were, you know, Audi with the e-tron. Um, lots of plug-in hybrids from the likes of BMW and Volvo and such. So it's possible that you're seeing some of that. I, I don't have a lot of uh, more, more background than that. Um, so immediately my, my reporters, you know, um, you know, uh, a skepticism kicks in and says, wait, let's, let's think about the, the, the whole, the big picture here. And, and the big picture in the U S at least has been, that the vehicles have trended uh, toward more expensive uh, models to begin with. Okay, yes. thank you. Joe, um, I think now would be a good time. Um, we called you because of what you have going on in a couple of days. Could you uh, provide some, uh, well, nuts and bolts? How, how can the public, how can the consumer be involved uh, on your site and uh, give us the parameters of what, what, what do you expect the public's going to ask if you have some expectations and, and give us the overview of, of what's going to go on. I think it's on, um, is it on Thursday? It's on Thursday, October 28th, yeah, at uh, 1 o'clock Eastern, 12 Central. So that would make it uh, a, a little journalist math here, 10 o'clock. <laughs> Don't put journalists and math together ever. Come on now. <laughs> I know. <laughs> sorry, go Challenge. ahead. Go ahead, Joe. Yeah, I'm sorry. We, people can find it at live.cars.com. Um, it's, we call it the guide for the EV curious. You just sign up and then, you know, it's of course free and it's, you know, I, I know the term webinar is not a popular term, but it's, it's a, a stream. It's a, it's a live stream and the opportunity to ask questions as well, polls, and, and they're going to be a, there's going to be a Q and a at the end. We're going to discuss some of these topics are what we've learned from owning and testing vehicles over, you know, 10 years plus, uh, what to really be concerned about. Uh, don't be concerned that your, your battery is just going to outright die and you're going to need to replace it at extraordinary cost. But do be concerned that, you know, batteries do, do lose capacity over, over years and use. And think about that when you consider how much range you need, you know, little tips like that. Uh, we're going to have uh, some, some information about charging, home charging, uh, things to think about, why you need it, I mean, why you even need to buy something else uh, when you're buying an electric car? Uh, in some cases, um, not all, 
Uh, and uh, like I said, an opportunity for Q and A at the end. There have definitely been some questions, and they've they've been we've already we're already taking them. When you register, you can submit a question right up front, uh, and we'll be taking them live as well. Um, and uh, three or four of us will be answering uh, afterward. That was my um, my follow up question. Are you moderating it? And who else? Uh, what other colleagues do you have joining you? Well, I am uh, co-hosting with. Jenny Newman, our editor-in-chief, yes. um, and we are presenting, you know, one of the things that we do is obviously we do a lot of car reviews, including video car reviews, so we didn't want to, like, fill it up with that, but we do, we, we have a few uh, mini video reviews in there from colleagues of mine, reviewers, Joe Bruzek, who's our managing editor, Kelsey Mays, our news editor, Aaron Bragman is our uh, Detroit bureau chief and uh, has been a, an EV owner himself. Uh, so you're going to see those interspersed and we're, we're going to be, you know, all going to be, I think, in, on hand taking questions at the end about those vehicles and we can answer, uh, others as well. I, as, as I mentioned, I drove the Rivian, uh, Kelsey and I actually both did. We briefly drove the Hummer EV, uh, development version of it. Um, Aaron drove the, uh, new Mercedes EQS. Uh, yeah, so we've, we, we, our focus is not on specific models, though we do highlight a few real products that you can buy today, um, in those little reviews, but we, we, uh, we certainly can, can address, um, specific models as well. Great. Excellent. Hey, Joe, thanks a bunch for, uh, well, first of all, for, for adjusting your schedule, we exchanged emails and appreciate that, um making yourself available at a later time. Thank you. And uh, just remind, remind the public, uh, this is a great topic, EV Curious. What a great name. Um, go to the cars.com site now and check it out. Submit your questions. And uh, Joe's got all the answers. Uh, and I don't mean that in any kind of flippant way. You and your colleagues um, are the people to go to. So thanks for being our guest on the Weekly Driver podcast. You, we want to uh, encourage people to go to cars.com. It's a thorough, uh, wonderful site, and uh, please visit my site, theweeklydriver.com. We have been online since 2004. We also have a new feature that um, it's called uh, Buy Me a Cup of Coffee, so if anybody appreciates what we do, you can buy Bruce and I a cup of coffee if you choose to online, and we appreciate that very much, and overall, we appreciate um, you taking the time, Joe. Thank you, Joe. All right. Thank you, gentlemen. Okay. Cheers. Bye-bye now. All right, bye-bye.